Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name is Levi Hazen, and I have the privilege of being your host for today, as well as serving as the Executive Director of Life and Messiah International. Since 1887, Life and Messiah staff have been faithfully and diligently sharing God's heart for the Jewish people. You can learn more about the work that God continues to do through the organization by visiting us on the web at lifeandmessiah.org. Well, today our discussion topic is going to center around Psalm 83. And I am joined again by our good friend and uh, veteran of the podcast now, Wes Tabor, the former director of Life and Messiah and the current global ambassador. Wes, welcome back to the Tove Podcast. Levi, it's always a joy and a privilege to be with you. Well, I know our listeners always appreciate the insights that you have, whether it's about the scriptures themselves or spiritual warfare or just walking in this life. So we're glad to have you for our discussion today. And of course, Psalm 83 is especially relevant for the time that we're living in uh, because Israel is still at war with Hamas. There is uh, a lot of aggression being shown by Israel's neighbors against her very existence. So Psalm 83 is our topic. Can you open us up? Uh, Who's the author of Psalm 83? What do we know about this psalm? Well, Psalm 83 is one of Asaph's psalms. You know, of all the years that I preached out of the psalms, I've never preached Psalm 83 until this year and since October 7 because of its relevance to our times. But Asaph was a, a chief musician. He was from the tribe of Levi. And of course, God set aside the tribe of Levi for temple service and particularly for well, leading worship. There are certain people who were assigned to this. So we read about, for example, the sons of Korah, mm-hmm. uh, Asaph, Heman, there are others who are named. Um, and this is one of 12 of his psalms. It's actually the last. He wrote Psalm 50, which was the first, but then beginning in Psalm 73, we've got a series of 11 psalms. So this is the last of them. It's a psalm of lament. It's the cry of a hurting heart in a very difficult time in Israel's history. And it's also what's called an imprecatory psalm. Yeah, God calling down uh, or calling down God's curses on someone, but always for a purpose. Right. Okay, so let's dig right in here. Psalm 83, verse 1. Wes, do you want to read that? First verse for us. O God, do not remain quiet, do not be silent, and O God, do not be still. Okay, so pretty easy there. The 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 author of the psalm, Asaph, is simply saying, God, speak up. That's right. God, where are you? That's right. And why is that key? Well, first of all, when we see something that's registered in triplicate, he uses three different words in Hebrew, don't remain quiet, don't be silent, don't be still. Um, that's for emphasis, right? So it's like, I've been crying out to the Lord and the heavens are brass. This is how we often feel in times of crisis. How did it get to be this bad? And God, why aren't you showing up? So, but wanting to hear his voice includes the idea of, I want to see you act, right? It's like, get up off your throne, hear my my cry. I, I need your help. This is an intense way of saying, this is a personal problem. It's a national problem. We need your help. Yeah, much like today. So verse 2 says, see how your enemies make an uproar. And I think it's interesting, right away, Asaph ascribes these folks as God's enemies. And we're going to 
We're going to see why in just a little bit here. But see how your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have acted arrogantly. Okay, so clearly Asaph sees that these enemies are ultimately God's enemies. But it's interesting in verse 3, what God's enemies end up doing. Wes, do you want to take verse 3? Well, they make shrewd plans against your people. So let's just start with that. Uh, Your people, that's an important phrase. Um, Ami is how God refers to my people, my nation. This is the Hebrew word for gathered nation, the the whole of the people of Israel. And this phrase, my people, that God uses, is found 172 times in God's mouth Mm. in the Tanakh. The first time is in Exodus 3, verse 7, when he's looking at the oppression of my people Israel. 35 of those 172 times, he says, my people Israel. But if you look at the context, and I have for all 172, they're all referring to Israel in context, except for one, and that's the one from Isaiah 19, where God refers to Egypt, my people, and that's in, in, the, a future time. in the future. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they conspire together against your treasured ones. So this, this term, treasured ones, is a very special term. It means something that you have secreted in order to keep safe. Yeah, I, I really like this this Hebrew word. The Hebrew word has the sense, like you said, that, that you're keeping something safe, you're concealing something. And so my wife and I were in Atlanta over the weekend. And we, of course, uh, we were in a hotel there and we had a hotel safe. And the Hebrew idea of this word that's used here is you walk into a hotel room and you have some important documents with you. Maybe it's your passport or a birth certificate or maybe a large sum of money that you need to pay somebody. And you put these important documents inside of the hotel safe. That's what God has done with Israel here. He set them aside. He set them apart as a nation, as a people. And then he has secured them, we might say. Wes, if you had something in the hotel safe and I wanted to harm you, but maybe I couldn't find you physically. Uh, maybe I, I, I didn't want to attack you physically, but I certainly wanted to inflict harm on you. So I go to your hotel room, I break in, and I try to steal what's in the safe. That's the sense here of when, when people cannot punch God in the face physically, but what they can do is try to hurt that or whom is most dear to God. And that's what we see here. Yes, they're, they're God's enemies, and they're attacking Israel. That same word for concealing is found in Psalm 27, verse 5. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. This idea of God's protection of Israel, of secreting them, of putting his, his hand over them in a cleft of a rock or However, uh, they need to be, as his treasure, protected. Yeah, absolutely. And even in you know, Psalm 121, we read, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. And yet at this moment in time, some of us feel a lot like a soft because we're saying, okay, God, where were you on October 7th? Right? Yes. Where were you? Israel, you you are protecting Israel. We know that you see everything that happens, not only all over the world, but especially Israel. So where were you, God? 
Yes, and this has been an issue throughout the centuries for the Jewish people, right? Uh, why is it that God's chosen people have endured such suffering in so many places over such an extended period? And then the whole idea of never again, right? After the Holocaust and such horrible tragedy that befell the Jewish people, but then in 1948 establishing a state and having a, a homeland and working to secure it and to defend it and then to be caught off guard as they were on October 7th and such a horrific unfolded unfolding of uh, horror for them. Yeah. Well, verse 4 goes on. Uh, Asaf says, they say, they being Israel's enemies, these people who are attacking God and attacking Israel, come, let us wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. Verse 4. It's interesting, uh, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum points out in his work, Footsteps of the Messiah, that verse 4 was pretty much uttered word for word by Nasser, who used to lead Egypt, right before the Six-Day War. That's what he wanted to do. He said, we're going to wipe them out as a nation. And that's a classic example of what Israel's enemies have said for millennia now. Israel's enemies, and by extension, God's enemies, want to just wipe her out, not only physically, but they don't even want a memory of Israel to exist. But that's a big problem with the scriptures. Because the scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 31 talk about the coming of a new covenant. And of course, that new covenant is made with Israel and Judah, with the, with the people of Israel as Gentile believers and the Messiah of Israel. We get to be experiencing the, the blessings of that new covenant. But there's a promise given in this passage. And if Israel's enemies actually attain what they're looking for, they will have discredited God's word. And that's why we know it'll never happen. But this is why they're so opposed to it. Here's what Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 35, says. This is what the Lord says. The one who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and makes its waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from my presence, in other words, Wes, if the sun stops shining, if the moon and the stars are no longer there at night, and if all of a sudden the waves stop in the sea, this is the Lord's declaration, then all Israel's descendants will cease to be a nation before me forever. So, in other words, as long as you see the sun shining, Israel is a nation before God. This is what the Lord says. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below explored, I'll reject all of Israel's descendants because of all they've done. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, what I find interesting here, Wes, is that verses 35 and 36 speak specifically to the nation of Israel being present before God as long as we see this fixed order. And so God's saying, it's always there before me. But then in verse 37, he goes a little bit further. So we know not only is Israel going to remain a nation before God, the people are there before God, you're not going to be able to wipe them out. Verse 37 says, and he hasn't rejected them. In other words, they're there, they're present, you're not going to be able to get rid of them, and I haven't rejected them for all that they've done. Now here's an interesting take on these two verses, Wes, these three verses I should say. Verses 35 and 36 speak to those enemies who would want to physically destroy Israel and wipe their memory out. Verse 37 speaks to those who would want to spiritually destroy Israel 
and believe that God has rejected them based on their disobedience. Because it says right here, if only the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth below explored, of course, that's not going to happen, then I'll reject all of the Jewish people. It's not going to happen. And so in one hand, we say Israel is protected physically from being exterminated in its entirety. On the other hand, we say Israel is also protected in that God will not reject them because of their behavior. Isn't that interesting? It's wonderful. The poetic way in which he describes this uh, is very powerful. And it's what Paul echoes in Romans 11. God has not rejected his people, has he? And then he says, Meganoito, it can't happen. Right. It's, it's the strongest negation available in the Greek language. That's right. It's very strong language, not only in the Hebrew Bible, but it continues on into the New Covenant, which is wonderful. And of course, that all goes back to God's character, because God has made promises, which Paul references, and either we serve a God that says, well, those forefathers are long gone, so those promises don't really matter anymore, or we serve a God who says, nope, I made those promises, and I will keep them for the sake of the forefathers, no matter what someone's behavior is, no matter what someone's status is, no matter how many people love or hate these people, these promises are there, my love is fixed on them, and I am faithful. His love is fixed on them. That's the Jeremiah 31.3, everlasting love. Uh, but also, he set his name on them, right? So these are the people upon whom he set his name. In fact, the name Israel was given by God to Jacob, Yeah. right? And the meaning of it is significant. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, the Moody Bible Commentary says this regarding Psalm 83 in the name of Israel, quote, Because the plans were made by the enemies of the Lord, these words were ultimately directed against God himself, since he established Israel as a distinct people, and promised that they would remain so forever. It was he, God, who gave them their name, the name itself bearing witness to the character of God. Israel literally means God strives, that is, strives for Israel. So the enemies of Israel are the enemies of God, right? Let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. Verse 5 says they have conspired together with one mind. Against you they make a covenant. So it's not just against Israel, it's against Israel's God. And I think that's important for us to remember. All those wonderful ways in which God identifies Israel as his people, Ami is, is one, but he calls them his segula, his treasured possession, his inheritance. He uses the marital language. I was a husband to them. He calls Israel his firstborn son. All kinds of ways in the Old Testament scriptures that God identifies Israel as his special people, his treasured possession. These enemies of Israel are ultimately uniting against God, and this is a spiritual battle. And I think, Wes, you know, those of us in the world of Jewish ministry, and I think a lot of believers, are so saddened by this, I think it's, it's at least a 400% increase in anti-Semitic acts right here in these United States of America. This is alarming. We, we sh- if, if I could have a siren going off right now about this nation, it would be going off. And these folks who are being deceived and aligning with the chants from the river to the sea— I don't think that they're realizing, I think they're ignorant. They're not realizing that from the river to the sea, 
is verse 4. From the river to the sea means wipe Israel out as a nation. And if you get involved in that kind of theology, if you get involved in that kind of anti-Jewish hatred wrapped up in some kind of a political stance, you are setting yourself against God Almighty. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, at Life and Messiah, we try not to get embroiled in political stuff. But when we're talking about God's faithfulness to his promises, the title deed to that land was given by God to Abraham. Scripture is clear that God's the one who sets up kings and takes them down, and he defines the borders and the boundaries of, of lands. And interestingly, Gaza is included in the territory that God promised to Israel. Right. In fact, if you want to look at the enemies who are listed, you know, over the millennia, Israel has been attacked by nations near and far. But there's quite a list, this amalgamation, this alliance of enemies against Israel in Asaf's day includes some really familiar names. So verse 6 talks about the tents of Edom, that's Esau, the firstborn twin of, of Jacob, and the Ishmaelites, who are the sons of Hagar, uh, Moab, Lot's son by his oldest daughter in Genesis 19, uh, the Hagrites, again the descendants of, of Hagar, Gebal, which is ancient Byblos, a Phoenician seaport, about 20 miles north of Beirut today. Ammon, Lot's youngest daughter's son. Amalek, Philistia, which included Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza, with the inhabitants of Tyre, again, Lebanon. And then Assyria has also joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. So, Everything from Egypt to the south to Lebanon to the north and Jordan to the east, all these nations are aligned against Israel in Asaf's day. Yeah, and unfortunately, not much has changed. Then Asaf moves in, in verses you know, uh, 9 and following. He asks God to deal with them. Now, this is a good thing because vengeance is always the Lord's, right? And that's one thing King David was excellent at. He he wanted to go after people sometimes, but ultimately he, would, he was held back by his own beliefs or by a, a wise woman maybe or somebody else. And he did not inflict vengeance himself. And so I love this, that verse 9 says, Deal with them as you did with Midian and as you did with Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon River. Now that's a reference from Judges chapter 4 where we see that the Israelites killed the enemies of God. And so Asaf here is saying, Lord, Deal with these enemy nations who want to wipe us out because your name is at stake. And so that's what we want to pray today, actually, is that God would deal with Hamas, with Hezbollah, with Iran, and all, you know, the Houthi rebels and all these enemies as, Lord, deal with them. And we're going to get to what we ultimately want to happen here at the end of the, at the, end of the psalm, but Lord, you deal with them. Right. So Judges, he goes back to the history of God dealing with Israel's enemies. <clears throat> he doesn't even mention uh, the exodus from Egypt. There's lots of times in history that he could have referred to, but he goes to Judges 4, he goes to Judges 7, you know, Gideon and the Midianites, and when Oreb and Zeb were defeated, this is a time when God showed himself strong. And the story of Gideon and the Midianites is fascinating, because God, God said, you know, you really can't win this war with 32,000. Um, you really just need 300. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look at, look at, I think it's really interesting. Asaf says, he tells us, 
what these enemies are saying, and it's the same thing today, Wes, they're saying, let us seize God's pastures for ourselves. That's ultimately what Hamas certainly wants to have happen. From the river to the sea is their idea that it should be all Muslim controlled. And they don't want any Jewish people there. They certainly don't want a state of Israel. And they're saying, let's seize God's pastures for ourselves. Let's destroy Israel so that we can rule over it. And so he continues in verse 13, Make them, the enemies, like a tumbleweed, my God, like straw before the wind. As fire burns a forest, as a flame blazes through the mountains, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, so that what, Wes? So they may seek your name, O Lord. Yeah, that's right. And that is a great way for us to be praying because ultimately, as was mentioned earlier, this is a spiritual battle. The enemy of mankind, the prince of darkness, he's the one that's deceived Israel's enemies into thinking that it's a good thing, that it's a righteous thing to murder innocent people, into thinking that it would be a righteous thing to try and take over God's land that he's designated for a specific people. And so what does it mean that they that they seek him? What does it mean that they'll be put to shame and terrified forever? How, what, how do we make sense of this? I think the defeat of God's enemies is one of the ways in which his name is glorified. If you go back to the story of the Exodus and the 10 plagues and how God demonstrated his sovereignty and superiority over the, the pagan gods of Egypt, and then you read the story of Rahab in Jericho, and she says, you know, we've heard about the fame of the Lord your God and the Gibeonites who come to Joshua and try to sue for peace because they know that Israel's God is the true God. Mm-hmm. So the defeat of Israel's enemies by the people who are identified as the people of God exalt his name. And that's the basis for Asaf's prayer, saying, Lord, it's your people who are being attacked. It's your name that's going to be damaged if you don't show yourself strong here. Yeah. And that's a wonderful way to pray. It reminds me of David in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath is defying the armies of Israel. Sure. But this teenage boy stands up and says, you know, it's not the armies of Israel that you're defaming here. It's against God. And because of the fact that you're dragging God's name through the mud, you are going down. Yeah. It was, it was on the basis of God's reputation, God's name, that a young man took a sling and slew a giant for God's name's sake. Yeah, very good. Well, Psalm 83 concludes with, May they know that you alone, whose name is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. And so that's what we want to have happen. It's a wonderful conclusion. It's so easy to get bogged down in the morass of politics and geopolitical alliances and warfare It's true. There's a physical battle that's going on. Lives are being lost, even as you and I sit here today. But what we really want is for God to be glorified. We want his name to be made known. So we ask him to show himself strong on behalf of all the peoples who are suffering. We're we're very cognizant of the fact that there are believers among the Palestinians in Gaza who are suffering as everyone else around them is. There are Messianic believers who are serving in the IDF and who are in harm's way today. Um, Our hearts break for all those who are suffering, for those who have already suffered loss of loved ones, and for those whose 
Uh, lives are in turmoil because they don't know where their hostage family members are. Yeah. And our hearts break for the Palestinians who, because of evil and godless leadership, are caught in the situation that they are in today. Yeah. We want God to be glorified in this situation, to show himself strong on behalf of his people and for his namesake, that his name might be known, that he is the most high over all the earth. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Wes. I've appreciated walking through Psalm 83 on several occasions uh, over the last 40 days or so. So thanks for your wisdom and insight on this passage. Well, we continue to pray for Israel and for all those who are suffering and pray for the defeat of evil and enmity. In God's name be exalted. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. If you'd like to listen to previous podcasts, check us out on the web at lifeandmessiah.org. Just click on that Tove Podcast tab on the top of the page. And we've also got up-to-date, wonderful information about the ongoing conflict in Israel on Life and Messiah's YouTube channel. So if you've not done so yet, head on over to YouTube, type in Life and Messiah, and subscribe to our channel where you'll find all kinds of different videos related to this conflict as well as God's heart for the Jewish people. Until next time, Shalom. Since 1887, Life and Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org.